Have you ever heard the saying, if it looks like a duck, swims like a duck, quacks like a duck, then it is probably a duck. This is fittingly called the duck test. It is a form of abductive reasoning where you make basic observations about something and then you find the simplest and most likely explanation. For example, you might watch a small brown bird in your yard and notice he has webbed feet. He has a bill. He waddles. He swims. He quacks. And then from everything you know, you might discern... This is a duck. This morning as we continue into the end of the chapter 2 of the book of Acts, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, makes some observations about the community of spirit-filled believers and some of their practices, which we will then cause us to make some abductive reasoning that this is the church that he's talking about. And we're going to step into it, look at some of those practices which still show up in the empowered community, which is still called the church. So to keep all this in context, what Luke is describing for us in Acts is what happened in the body of believers after the ascension of Jesus Christ. So if you've been tracking with us, you remember that the disciples, all 12 of them, remembering that Matthias had been added to replace Judas were gathered together, likely with the 120, as the Bible puts it, when the Holy Spirit, who is the co-eternal member of the Trinity, with no beginning and no end, this is not the Father whispering or the Son throwing His voice, but rather a distinct person who comes to dwell permanently with those who would believe in Jesus Christ. And Luke describes the Holy Spirit as coming in as a sound like a mighty rushing wind filling the entire house. And tongues divided, appeared, and rested on each of them. And then Peter, in response, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, stands up amongst his brothers and begins to preach. And last week, we made an important assertion and an observation that Peter's preaching had little to do with his education or his training, or even his experience, but rather that it was a part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That was last week's message. That Peter was a normal guy, just like you, just like me. And in fact, we'll find as we move through the book of Acts, that the religious people of the day thought the same thing about these disciples. And more importantly, the Holy Spirit who inspired the writing of the entire Bible, including the book of Acts, also wanted to make that clear and plain to you in Acts 4, 4.13. We'll get there. But this is what it says. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Now this is the Bible testifying to you two things. One, that this was the Pharisees' observation that these guys were common and uneducated. And two, that's the Holy Spirit wanting to make sure that 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years later, you understood that as a common perception of these men. Lest we get into this idea that these are holy saints, that they're far different from us, 
that they were amazing or they were special or if I could be like that. No, I think in fact you'd find the scriptures describe you in the same ways and look at you in similar ways that we are people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Every week I point us to Ephesians 1.13 and we'll be here again this morning. Paul writes, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Paul says, if you've heard the gospel, friends, if you've been with us for any length of time, you've heard the gospel. And if you've believed in him, and friends, you could do that right now. You could believe that his death was the only thing that could pay the price for your sins. You can believe that your good deeds and your good works are not good enough. That your sin management is not getting it done. And that the only thing that pays the price for your sin is the death of Jesus Christ. And it alone is the atoning sacrifice for your sin. Which in plain speak means that Jesus' death was enough. And it paid in full the penalty for your sin. And you are now accounted as righteous before the Father. See, not in your sin, but in the righteousness of Christ. If you've never believed that for yourself, you can now. The Bible says, and you will be given the Holy Spirit. Now I keep putting that before you, because if you've heard the gospel, and you've believed the gospel, you have the Holy Spirit. So the power that is discussed here in the book of Acts that these guys walk in is yours. So Peter testifies to this gathering in Jerusalem. He gives them that same calling in Acts 2.38. Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Friends, you can believe in Him today. You can trust in Him today. You can receive the power today. And last week we testified that the Holy Spirit first works to point us to Christ, and then to use us to point others to Christ. And we saw the Holy Spirit at work in Peter when he brought some 3,000 people to himself, according to Acts 2.41. Last week we looked at the example of an empowered life. What does it look like for someone under the power of the Holy Spirit to speak the words given to him by the Spirit? And this week we step in to see an empowered community. Or rather, what does it look like when the roughly, and our numbers are going to fall apart soon, 3,120 people, remember you've got the disciples, you've got the 120, now you've got some 3,000 added, rough guess, are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because what the Bible is going to testify to us is what's true of these people when they gather? What's true of them corporately? What's true of their gathering and what was the nature of this early church? Make no mistake about it, friends. There was nobody in the first century going, yeah, I don't need the church. I got Jesus. I can do this on my own. And in fact, you'll not find that phenomenon in any other country. Just us rich people. 
on this side of the pond who think we can do it. And we're wrong. The Bible testifies that they gathered together because they needed to, because they had to. And before us in these next five verses, we have something that is descriptive of the early church. And I say it's descriptive because Luke is describing the church. And this is entirely different than it being prescriptive. We'll talk about that in a little while, as in the church must look like this. But at the same time, what Luke puts before us is some eternal principles for us to consider. Look with me at Acts 2.42. starts this way. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And they, this is roughly the 3,120 people. I have no idea where they're gathered, probably in homes. Uh, They didn't have large buildings like this. Early on, they probably were allowed to meet in temples, uh, but that probably ended not long after that. But you have 3,120 people, about which it says they were devoted, which means to be steadfast, to persist in, to continuously practice, which is to say they had two extraordinarily common habits, two things they did routinely, and that's sit under the apostles' teaching and fellowship. We'll talk about them individually. We'll start with the apostles' teaching. It means that in their regular community, they looked at God's Word together, which could have consisted of the Jewish Scriptures, most certainly would have consisted of the teachings of Christ, and then the revelations that He continued to give to the apostles. As it says, the apostles' teachings. Which is to say, they studied God's Word. Bridge, you're going to pick up on this a couple of times. If you ever wondered where we get our philosophy of ministry from Calvary, here goes. They studied God's Word. This is why we teach the Bible at Calvary. You'll find tons of churches that gather where the pastor will read a verse and then proceed to give you his opinion for the next 40 minutes, never again referring to the Bible. In fact, I would charge you, the vast majority of guys you'll find on TV, save a couple, do exactly that. It's church light. They want to point you to God, but it really is exaltation of self. It's why I stand here regularly preaching from the Bible, clearly pointing out that I have no authority that I'm the weakest of all men here, I regularly confess to you that I've sinned as equal or more often than most of you because I don't want us to build a church upon the reality that there's a guy who's doing it right who screams at a bunch of people who aren't. Did somebody say amen? My wife said it. I heard her. (laughs) No, we gather together to affirm the authority of God's Word. Because it's God's Word that has power. It's God's Word that has authority. Ben's stories won't help you much. They might explain some things. They might help make clear a point or two. But we teach God's Word because we've derived a principle from this passage that we should be devoted to God's Word. Therefore, we will persist in it. And we will continue to preach it. This is a community passage. This is us in community 
But friends, never make the mistake of thinking this should be your Bible for the week. Because it shouldn't be. By the same token, I would strongly urge you to not make your Sunday lunch your only meal for the week. Because I suspect if you ate a big Sunday lunch, sometime Sunday dinner, you're hungry again. Sometime Monday, you're hungry again. And can I just suggest to you your soul is the same way? Don't feed your stomach in a way that you're not feeding your soul. Are you tracking with that? Feed your soul. This is not intended to be your only meal, but it's a community gathering that gets us in the same place under God's authority and under His power so that we will be unified together in community. And then Luke adds to that. They were under the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And when you hear fellowship, we're Baptists, right? We, we know how to fellowship. In fact, traditionally speaking, most of us think that literally anything could fall into this category. I suspect we've said it before. We could have a potluck. It's fellowship. We could go shopping. It's fellowship. We could play a game together. It's fellowship. We could watch a game together. It's fellowship. We could go camping. It's fellowship. In fact, we might even proclaim that if more than two Christians gather, we could call it fellowship. But friends, that's not what Luke is describing here. And what I want to submit to you is that we've lost the true meaning of fellowship. And instead, we've replaced it with a shallow, cheap form where sitting next to each other seems to equate deep, real community. Before I went to seminary, I was not a a lover of the church. Somewhere at Dallas Seminary, God gave me a distinct love for the church. And I would often complain that I would go to this gathering on a regular basis and nobody knew me and I didn't know anybody. But you know what my practice was? I like to show up five minutes late so I didn't have to talk to anybody. And I figured out the pattern. Pastor would preach. We'd sing a song. And if I looked at my watch in the middle of the song, I could kind of look like, ooh, I have something to do. i got to get out quick. So I wouldn't have to talk to anybody. You know, I blamed that gathering, which was probably, in hindsight, a pretty good church for the fact that I was isolated. I blamed that gathering for not connecting with me when the problem all along was, please point at me. Thank you. We're all on the same page. I was the problem. I expected people to gather around me. I expected the people to want to engage me even though I came late and left early. In fact, I would laughingly tell you that it wasn't until six months that I found out that the church met at 9.30 and not 10. Because for about a year and a half, I got there at 10, assuming I was getting there in the middle of the first song, only to find out I'd missed the first six. It's a charismatic church. We have bought into a shallow and cheap form of community where we think sitting next to somebody equates to fellowship, equates to being known and knowing. And we've missed it. 
This word fellowship, the Greek word is koinonia. It's one of the Greek words you probably know. It refers to sharing things with one another. In this case, sharing a meal, sharing your possessions, sharing your hopes, sharing your dreams, sharing your anxieties, sharing your ideas, sharing your disappointments, not merely sharing a pew. It's this idea of being deeply connected with one another. And Luke gives us the example of the following four verses. He connects these two things together. He tells you, he defines for you what fellowship is. By saying to the breaking of bread and prayers. That's literally him grammatically explaining what fellowship is. You want to know how to fellowship? You break bread and pray together. That's what he's pointing out to you in this passage and you'd find here that the breaking of bread here and in other parts of the new testament refers to sharing an ordinary meal together now in those contexts it wasn't uncommon that they would gather as a church and eat a meal together and then have communion but this doesn't specifically talk about sharing communion It does, however, talk about sharing an ordinary meal together. That they would gather around a table, and I have no idea how you fit 3,120 people around a table. My guess is there were lots of tables. My guess is there were lots of people on the floor. My guess it wasn't convenient, easy, or pretty. But they would share life together. Now, I started us off by acknowledging that if you wonder about our philosophy of ministry, you'll find it in this passage. And this is why we have community groups. It came from this principle that the early church gathered to share a meal as a means to share life. That they could encourage one another. That they could spur one another on. That they could carry one another's burdens. This is why we have community groups, and this is why I regularly encourage you to join one. Because I don't want you to be me, who went and blamed the church for not knowing. Trying to stay off the soapbox. Because, just like the early church that needed to gather together for encouragement and to be spurred on and to be carried. So do we. So do we. That it's in those small gatherings where the church becomes the church. It's in those gatherings where we love one another in a way that is meaningful. It's in those small gatherings where we put an arm around someone who's struggling and some days drag them along. He calls fellowship the breaking of bread and prayers. He points to a deeper union where we know one another and we're known by one another and we pray for one another. That in our gatherings, we would acknowledge that every good and right thing comes from God. That we'd be reminded. Have you ever noticed, studying through the New Testament, how often we need to be reminded? It's, It's almost like the New Testament takes for granted 
that you're going to know about his grace, that you're going to know about his goodness, his faithfulness, and you're going to forget about it a lot. And so we're going to have to, as we approach life, gather together to remind each other, brother, God is gracious. Yesterday, last night, Pierce and I were breaking sticks in our backyard and we were talking about worship. I was articulating to him that that now that he can read, I expected him to worship. That his sisters, who cannot read, cannot look at a screen, understand the words, that they're kind of excused from that a little bit. Now they can learn the words. Claire sometimes will say, Daddy, what are the next words? And I'll whisper to him. But the Pierce can read. He can worship. He can read the words. And he said, well, Daddy, why do we do this? And I looked up on my phone. I said, Pierce, let me look up what we're singing tomorrow. And I said, Pierce, one of the songs we'll sing tomorrow is, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And that one of the things we do is we're ascribing to God, You are faithful. You are so faithful that even nature testifies to your faithfulness. And yet we also encourage and exhort one another. And we testify to one another that I'm singing in a way that testifies to Pierce. Pierce, God is faithful. Be encouraged. And Pierce is singing in such a way that testifies to me that God is faithful. Be encouraged. So in our singing of a song like, Great is Thy Faithfulness, we're actually encouraging and supporting one another in God's faithfulness. We're edifying one another. We're acknowledging who He is. This is a fellowship that Luke puts before us, that the Holy Spirit wants us to see that we would gather Be real with one another, encourage one another, spur one another on and pray together, thanking God, petitioning God, and interceding for others. So to give you the picture, we have 3,120 Spirit-filled believers living now in real community, sharing life, eating together, praying together, And I want you to see the impact this has on Jerusalem. Because this is the power in the book of Acts. See, God didn't want you to have the testimony of 3,120 people who knew Jesus and occasionally read their Bibles but didn't really like to gather. No, what changed the world was people loving Jesus in real community, spurring one another on, filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. Two things we have to acknowledge here. One, everyone has a soul. That's you, your neighbor, your co-workers, the people who live behind you have souls. And here the Bible testifies that this community put an awe in everyone's soul. The city was in awe. The believers were in awe at the community that God had built for us. The community that God wants for us. The community that God uses as a city on a hill to shine brightly. Friends, this is the community 
that's supposed to attract outsiders. Not, hey, let's get lots of crazy lights and drums and light shows. And This is where the church misses it. We think this gathering is supposed to draw people in. It's, it's not. This is to feed you, to exhort you, so that you'll be in right and real community with one another. And the fact that you love each other so well, people ought to look at and go, man, you guys love each other really well. What's going on there? And how can I get into that? Because I'm struggling and I need to know how to walk through life. I want to have a community like that. And God continues to move in and through that community. It testifies at the end of 43. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That God continued to use signs and wonders to authenticate the movement and the message. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12.12, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. The author of Hebrews also attests to it, writing this, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Basically, what will you do if you turn away from Jesus? It was declared first by the Lord. He's talking about salvation. And it was attested by those who had heard, the disciples, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Salvation was made known by Jesus, then by the disciples who also bore witness, and then the Holy Spirit confirmed it by signs. And this is an important consideration, that God was using miracles to authenticate his message. Now, I point that out to us this morning because this is a speed bump in this passage for some. Because you might wonder why we don't still see these kinds of signs in a place like America. And I would argue to you that the message here does not need to be authenticated. It doesn't need to be acknowledged. It doesn't need to be supported. Because... There's already a large witness for Christ here. Unless I make you think that's that there's tons of us. No, what I mean to tell you is that God has already authenticated the message by saving you. And putting you on display to your neighbors. I had a guy who lived across the hall from me in college who would regularly come into my uh, dorm room and say, Ben, you know I'm thankful for you? Because if God could save a worthless sinner like you, I know I'm easy to get in. Has it ever occurred to you that that's the display for your neighbors? But if God could save a worthless sinner like me, brother, you got a chance. He could spare you too. God has us on display in our neighborhoods. We gotta put him on display. His abundant mercy and his grace. That's his testimony here. And at the same time, I would tell you that there are still parts of the world where these kinds of signs and wonders do happen. In fact, I could find for you, don't have time, we're running out of time already. Story after story from the mission field of men receiving visions or dreams of Jesus, 
of miraculous healings being done in the name of Jesus, things you would find in the New Testament, it still happens. And I would say that to put before you the reality of salvation and the message. That there are parts of the world that need that testimony. And here the testimony God has provided in you. That God can save sinners from their sin. And frankly, the fact that He saved you is a miracle. The fact that He saved me is in and of itself a miracle. And if you don't believe that, you don't believe enough of your sin. For God has saved us and uses us to bear witness to His salvation. Got to keep moving. Luke then gives us another statement on community and fellowship. Leaning into this idea of fellowship being sharing, he says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This way remember that fellowship is sharing together. And here they took sharing together to the point of sharing everything so that people were selling their stuff to make sure that everyone was provided for. I do want to pause for a second and tell you that when we started this message, I told you this was descriptive of the church and not prescriptive. And this is one reason why. I'm not trying to get you out of selling your stuff. There are seven summary statements of the church found in the book of Acts. This is the only one that puts forth communal living. So this wasn't regular throughout the entire book of Acts or in the early church. This was an extraordinary means of people under the power of the Holy Spirit supporting one another. So the Bible doesn't prescribe this view of communal living. But what it does describe for you is selfless, Christ-centered people in a Spirit-empowered community willing to give of their excesses to see that others' needs are met. To exalt Christ and minimize self. Church, did you know that Calvary has a fellowship fund? In fact, it's aptly named, right? We don't do a lot of promoting it, and probably we should. It's a fund that allows the church to come alongside people in our community who are in need. For many reasons, we don't tell you these stories, but I'll give you some highlights. In the last year, we've used it to buy food, and I'm not talking about a small amount, for people who were short. We used it to provide winter clothes to a family that had nothing. We've used it to pay the rent of a family for several months that have been going through a tough season. We've used it to put tires on people's carts. That's just to name a couple. And we could press in further and further. Friends, this is the type of fellowship that happened in the early church and is continuing to happen in this one. And if you're so moved, you might consider making a donation above your normal giving to help continue to meet some of those in need. And if you look at it and say, I want to participate and don't have the money, 
You could even so follow the example and sell your stuff. Because I think we'd all testify we got too much stuff. This is the church. The fellowship of spirit-filled believers living in a spirit-filled community testifying together to this great salvation that we have in Christ. That it's not me being good enough, it's Christ who is good enough. That gather together, eat together, share life together, and pray together. And to live life abundantly. And God used them in magnificent ways. The text continues... And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Luke testifies that they gathered together everything he just put forth in community, that day by day, they worshiped together. Day by day, they gathered and ate meals together. Day by day, they worshiped and prayed together. And God added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. We start to lose count of our 3,120 because instead of event-driven evangelism, we start adding threes and fours and eights and twelves and tens and seventeens and thirty-eights. Every single day, the church begins to explode. Calvary, I want you to see this. It's not because they were trained well. It's not because they were educated well. It's because they knew Jesus Christ. They lived out the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And they were in community, sharing life together in a way that testified to the world that this is something Different. And the world was in awe. The world had favor with them and for them. And God moved. Church, this is the very same thing that He would call us to do now. That we would be faithful about regularly meeting for His Word. That we'd be faithful about sharing meals together and praying together and living out our lives in a spirit-filled community together. This is the example in the book of Acts as the early church gathered together to live life as a spirit-empowered community. The same thing he has for us. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've preserved it for us so that we might know You. We might know Your heart. We might know the salvation You have for us. We might know the community You have for us. That we might even see the shallowness of our own seeking after community to see how far it falls short of what You do have for us. Father, that we'd enter into a community of believers to do life with them in a way that is encouraging and uplifting so that we could know and be known. Because, Father, there are going to be days in our church when we're going to have to carry our brothers and sisters. And there are going to be days in our church when we're going to have to be carried. 
Father, thank you for giving us a community. May we embrace all of it and see all you have for us in this life through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.